Hello there. Rancho Obi-Wan, the Guinness World Records certified largest Star Wars memorabilia collection. Located in Petaluma, California, featuring the collection of super collector, author, and Star Wars fan ambassador Steve Sansweet. The most powerful Jedi ever. Visit RanchoObiWan.org and subscribe to the Rancho Obi-Wan Virtual Museum. A fun, authentic fan experience. Featuring rare photos, videos, Steve Sansweet Q&As, virtual tours of the museum, exclusive behind the seen stories and information and so much more plus your subscription helps ensure the future of the museum it's the rancho obi-wan virtual museum subscribe now at ranchoobi-wan.org get tons of cool perks information and history of star wars collecting from the man who knows it best steve sansui while contributing to the preservation of the world's largest star wars memorabilia collection ranchoobi-wan.org <laughs> This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Do you like sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, and comic books? Then you've come to the right place for your weekly dose of anything and everything geek. So strap in and let's get this show on the road. Welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast. Everybody and welcome to the Science Fictionary Podcast, the podcast brought to you by thesciencefictionary.com, where we discuss all things in the world of sci-fi, fantasy, action, adventure, superheroes in the world of pop culture. I am Daniel, and join me today are Marisha. Hello. Andrew. What's going on, everybody? And David. Hey, everyone. All right, so we're just going to jump right into it. we got a lot to go through tonight, um, and I'm just going to go ahead and ask the question, what are we watching and I'm actually going to start follow that with the second question because I hyped up Stargirl so bad last week. Did the three of you get a chance to catch up on Stargirl? We, we did not catch this week's episode, but we made it through the first three episodes. We did indeed. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I watched the uh, I watched the first three episodes also. Okay. Yeah. And the verdict is what? I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I said last week on the show that you actually genuinely convinced me to check out the show because I really wasn't interested before. And I, I started the first episode and I didn't put it down until I absolutely had to and got through I got through three episodes. Um, and and I, I had to watch it on the CW app and they have commercials like every five seconds. But I sat through them for this show. That's how much I liked it. Just really funny to say, because I guess back in the day, you guys had to watch commercials for every single thing you uh-huh. watched, huh? Back in the it dark ages, yeah. before we Y'all were so spoiled. My spoiled kids, fans. like, wig out whenever there's uh, com- too many commercials on something. They're just like... <laughs> yeah, they were watching TV. Gonna, I've about gotten that way, too, to be honest. They were watching TV I've at Andrew's... You. Yeah, at Andrew's grandparents' house yesterday. And Iana was like, Mom... They keep getting mad at me because I won't pick something different to watch. They don't understand why I can't just pick anything from the Disney Channel to play. It's like, because yeah, it's like actual, the or, Disney Channel, not the Disney Channel app or Disney Plus. Right. I mean, well, we had, you know, the oldest kid's 10 and we haven't had real TV in like five years. So, nope. yeah. so they're used Even to just Even when we did, we only to- watch sports on it. Yeah, pretty much. That's why we don't have it anymore. Uh-huh. Too much to, pl- to pay for 
yeah. saints. A lot of people don't anymore. But yeah, Stargirl, I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, everything that you said last week got me really excited for it, and you were definitely right. I love the feeling. I'll get more into it. I can because I'll stop myself now before I go for thirty minutes about it and let Andrew and Marisha speak. But I, I loved it. I'm very happy you recommended it. I mean, I think the big thing for me is that first and foremost, it's just a refreshing take from what we've seen from yep. superhero shows on TV. Broody, broody, mm-hmm. broody, yep. broody, broody, brood. Bad attitudes, and we're brooding. Yeah, can you tell I'm not a fan? Yeah, I, I 100% You're not a fan of brooding. Right. <laughs> I mean, I can I can take it like in small doses. Like I mean Batman. Batman's going to be broody all the time, every time, mm-hmm. right? Okay, right. but the Flash doesn't have to be broody and all of his compatriots don't no. have to be broody. And Flash is actually supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. And he's charming and he's witty and he's, you know, like Mm-hmm. And you don't get that in that show. But I like I, mean, well, I like that basically what they've done is is sort of, and we talked about this, somebody mentioned this last week, is sort of made it, I mean, we're obviously set in modern time, modern day, but it's kind of got that innocence of a bygone era. It's kind of it. got a little bit of a retro vibe. I want that refrigerator, by the way. Yeah. It does have a retro vibe, and, and I can tell that they, like, Setting it in that just small, where is it, Nebraska? Yeah, yeah, that small Nebraskan town is a great way to do that. Yeah, because you can't do that one, if you're in New York. Right, exactly. And one of the characters even says, like, this is Nebraska. We're a little behind about something. Like, the new big thing is twerking in Nebraska because right. they just now got to it. <laughs> that, that was what they said. So, like, I think that it, that it works perfectly for that. Of You know, there's a thing called the American Dream. And, and it plays those themes really, really well. Mm-hmm. And it's it one of the, like you guys said, refreshing. It's, it's, the show is so full of life and joy and comedy, but also it is very serious. It can be very yeah. serious at certain mm-hmm. times. And there's some very high guess, stakes in what's going there's on. There's some very high stakes. And, and, and some, I think a problem that, that creators have is they get, they get the words serious and, and tense and stakes mixed yeah. up with dark and edgy they think it's the same thing it's not right. you can be serious and and this show has that perfect balance this show's hilarious i laughed out loud la- i've laughed more out loud than i have at a show in a long time watching this just yeah. from pat's lines really yeah. um that's great pat's great luke wilson's amazing and but at the same time you have stuff serious where brainwaves like i'm going to make it look like your mother had a stroke and she's gonna die a horrible painful death right and then i'm gonna kill you and and then you have the girls who are calling the other girl a slut like it's like they're not hiding away from they're not it's not babyish if you know right. it's 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 very serious and they're tackling some serious things with some real stakes and it creates this perfect balance of a show that my little sister can watch and enjoy, like you mentioned last week, Dad, Jesse loves it, that she can watch and enjoy, but then also all four of us can can watch and enjoy. It has something for everybody. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think has really been missing um, in kind of sci-fi and, you know, in that kind of genre um, for a long time. You know? Oh, it's, you know, the... Mm-hmm. 
the stuff we get a little darker and you know you know you get all the post-apocalyptic stuff and all that stuff is fine but like it's nice to have something that's that's just lighter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah full of life like i said i think that's the best way to describe it is there's yeah so much it's it's a breath of fresh air and there's so much life and joy and love in the characters and 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 they are it's so much fun to watch them mm-hmm. um they're very relatable yeah uh even at first like i was like oh pat's the most relatable one but even even um uh star girl herself mm-hmm. like i actually really like her mm-hmm. I, I like her name's danielle right courtney courtney Cor- courtney i was thinking that's right courtney courtney Sorry. Um, uh, Courtney, uh, I thought that I was just going to kind of watch a show for Pat, but then like instantly, I really like Courtney. Um, I think she's a great protagonist. I, I love, and this is something that I really appreciate as a fan of like the classic superhero does the right thing. From the very beginning, before she even finds the staff, she's standing up for that girl that she doesn't even know. Mm-hmm who is being bullied at the table and she's standing up for her and, and pushing down the bully and like this big football player. And she's just this, you know, small girl, but she, she, that doesn't, she doesn't hesitate for one second to do the right thing. Um, and there's a big question of like, why did the staff choose her? And I think it's going to come down to per- I mean, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's personally going to come down to just the staff knew that she was, heroic and she had that 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 spirit that Starman was talking about at the beginning of the first episode she's the kind of person who could wield the staff and be worthy of it right right also i had no idea that joel McHale was Starman. uh i had no idea that was gonna happen so like whenever he showed up on screen i had like pause and be like is that wait a minute wait a minute Cause he's like he looked kind of like beefed up, you know, and it's like well, you know, I mean, a bit stronger, and it's. I, I thought that was hilarious. I mean, um, uh, Joel McHale is is pretty. He's a pretty big dude. I just didn't realize it. Yeah. I mean, now that I looked it up to make sure that it was him, like I now realize it. But just in my head, I don't mm-hmm. see it that way. But like, you just don't see him like that often, I guess. And I thought that was hilarious. And then of course he is a hilarious comedy actor. So, um, at the at the at his death scene, <laughs> but not you. But not you. Definitely not <laughs> you. <laughs> you know, you know, you can't do it. You can't do it. Yeah. Seriously, not you. <laughs> I feel poor like Pat. Yeah, no, bless Ugh. his heart. I feel like the, the he's such a good dude. He is. Mm-hmm. He really is. I think that the decision that both of their big names are m- primarily known for comedy. I think really works well for this series. Um, you know, Joel McHale and um, Luke Wilson, you know, both being, you know, most famous right. for, well, I mean, for comedy. I think that that's a good, and I mean, and not that they don't do drama, not that they don't do drama well, which I think is, is especially Luke Wilson is really showing here uh, that yeah. he, he can also be serious and do really well at that. Well, he's done dramatic roles in the past. Yeah. Right. Even his, even his comedic roles, his comedy comes from a place of being just so 
earnest, yes. which is the word I used for him in this show before. That's kind of mm-hmm. where his comedy's always sort of come yeah. from. So it works really well here. But it helps and kind I, of the lighthearted vibe, well, I think. I, I, think, there, I it, think this is a, a little bit of, whether intentional or not, it's DC taking, with this show, taking a little bit of a play out of Marvel's playbook. Marvel's had great success with keeping their show, with their movies, keeping them a little lighter by casting people with a comedic background. Paul, mm-hmm. Paul Rudd's the perfect example of that. Yes. Well, Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt, exactly. Um, yeah, and you know, I haven't seen Doom Patrol. I don't know if you guys have. I haven't seen it. But I've heard really amazing things about Doom Patrol. And from what I've heard about it, it seems like it's a lot like like Stargirl, like the same sort of tone and vibe it's, they're going for. It's a little, it's, it's quirkier though. It's, I, I feel like Doom it is quirkier, Patrol. but that same sort of like, just love. I can tell that there's a real love for the source material and for the DC universe in general with this show. I love seeing all the, the Justice Society of America members. That was, inc- that was awesome. Like, I really didn't expect them to like, to see them or for them to say Hawkman, Flash. Like, I didn't think they would reference them, but they did. Mm-hmm. We saw them. And then we also got to see characters like Captain Midnight and Hour Man. Like, mm-hmm. I've only heard of them because, like, I know stuff like that. But, like, I would imagine the average person has no idea who Captain Midnight no is. Not right. I. And, yeah, and I, knew, costumes, I, I think I do about a, a half of the ones that they named off. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Marisha will appreciate this. All of the costumes are spectacular. They're so charming yeah. and so fun. I'd love to like cosplay like the like get a group of friends and do the JSA from Star Girl. I love that classic superhero vibe. Mm-hmm. Even the names that they're like Captain Midnight. Like that's such a cool name. Like why don't we hear more about that? But um, yeah, I thought I thought I just I love what they're doing with the show. Um, also, I just want to mention, cause y'all are talking about Joe, um, not Joe, uh, you're talking about Luke Wilson and his dramatic roles. My, my absolute favorite scene so far is that scene in episode two, when he's about to go meet brainwave and he's arguing with Courtney and he's like, and he gets super serious. Stop. Like, stop it. You're staying here. I'm going to go. And that's the end of it. Like instantly, like. No more the funny, it's a perfect dad thing, you know? Yeah. No more the funny, likable, well, he's still likable, but you know what I mean. Like, all that's gone, and he gets serious, and he goes into real dad mode. And mm-hmm. I just love getting that feeling of, like, wow, he really is a great guy that's going to be great for their family, and that, yeah. that's that's awesome, and, and just the best just the mm-hmm. best dude. So relatable. And I don't... I don't yeah. know how long it's going to take, but we're going to have that you're my dad moment in this show at some point. Uh, yeah, she's going to calm dad. Yeah. yeah. Or it's going to be the point. moment where she either realizes Star Man's her father or not. And it's going to be that moment, same kind of moment where she realizes it doesn't matter mm-hmm. who her real father is, Pat's her dad. Yeah. Do you all think Star Man is her father? It depends on how, uh, how accurate they try to be to the book. Because there are some differences already, which you're going to have. Yeah. Well, um, I don't mind. I don't think he is, to be honest with you. I really don't. I think there's there's a dramatic moment there to be had if when she realizes that he's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, and I like that moment where she goes to her mom, and her mom is like, "All right, listen, your dad was 
just a bad dude who abandoned us. He's not, he wasn't, and, and it's like, you want to put this superhero image in your head, but in reality, like, he left. He's, that, that's what it is, and, and it sucks, and I think that moment, and I, and I, 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 well, I guess what I'm saying is, I hope Starman isn't her dad. You know, I hope they don't reveal, oh, Starman is your dad. I think that would actually take away a lot from what we've seen already. I mean, I think that if Starman was going to be her dad, that that they wouldn't have pulled it out in the first episode. I think it was. I think they would, if that were the case. I think they would try and make some kind of reveal out of it instead of just postulating it in the first episode. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And just from oh, a story by the perspective. Way, spoiler alert. Since we've, we've gotten really in depth in this thing, if anybody listening, oh, yeah, yeah. we're sorry. We're giving spoilers. We're not a spoiler-free podcast. We're not <laughs> most of the time. We're a spoilery podcast. Sorry. I'm well, glad you like in the show, though. I know I loved it. And I have yeah. watched episode four, um, and I'm, I'm I'm anxious for y'all to see that also because episode four gives a little more depth to a couple of characters we've seen. Mm-hmm. Who've kind of been in the background a little bit. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I already have some speculation about, about that. I'm seeing these characters in the background, and I'm like, oh, that character's getting a little bit more screen time than what yeah. you, you usually give them for a background character. Just the tiniest bit. Uh-huh. Like, I'm looking at certain characters, I'm like, that's totally going to be a named character in the next episode yeah. or something like well, that. You get some background to a story that you haven't seen the whole story yet, and what really happened, what people think happened, are two different things, and it's like... That's cool. Anyway, no, you just need to watch episode four. I'm glad y'all are liking it. Yeah. It's been a hit. So, anything else we're watching that we need to talk about? What we Andrew and Marissa, you haven't watched anything new? What's that? I finished Altered Carbon. Oh. Season two of Altered Carbon. Yeah. I really... I like it. I'm not, I'm not a person who goes in... Like, I don't watch... TV for the nudity ever, and there was only one dude scene in this whole series, so that made me happy. Um, but but it was also a lot more story and a lot less uh, drama because there was a lot of drama kind of in the first like interpersonal drama. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Um, of course, Anthony Mackie is is always great. And we got to see a lot more of the guy who who does Takashi in the in the flashbacks. You know, like his original. Oh. His original. Yeah, self. yeah, 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 yeah. His original body. Yep. So we got to see some more of that. So that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, I enjoyed it. It's it's definitely worth watching. I think it's a little maybe a little more memorable than the first season. Okay, then I'm I will probably maybe give it another chance then because season one just did not do it for me. Honestly, so, you could watch season two probably even if you haven't seen season one. There wasn't a whole lot of um, connective tissue. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely like honestly, I don't remember a lot of the details from the first season, but just the like you know previously, you know, if you watch all the little previously on you know ultra carbon little things, um, it catches you mm-hmm. up enough to kind of follow the story even if you had forgotten the first season. Because you didn't pay right. attention that good, I guess. So, but yeah, so okay. I enjoyed that. That's pretty much what I've been watching. And I've been watching MacGyver. I like MacGyver. <laughs> That's like my, I'm just, I've got a few minutes that I just don't want to think. That's what I've been turning on. 
<laughs> the old MacGyver or the new one? The new one. Okay. It's pretty. It's okay. We've been watching Stargate with the kids, so you can only do so much Richard Dean Anderson at one time. <laughs> right. I got you. That actually reminds me, since you mentioned MacGyver, which is a little outside the room when we talked about, I watched a movie yesterday that I realized this movie's almost a year old, and it's not sci-fi, it's not fancy, but have y'all seen Booksmart? No. Do no. no, not watch Booksmart with the kids, <laughs> but I bring it up here for this little bit of connection. Billy Lord is in it. That's right. I, I did not. I did not even realize it was her until the credits rolled. And I saw her name by the character, and I go, "That's not who that was." And I had to rewind it, and then I still didn't believe it. And I had to Google it and look it up. She's unrecognizable. That's like funny. she's that that. That young woman really does have some acting chops. She was really good in it. But anyway, that, that doesn't have anything to do with anything we normally talk about except for the Billy Lord connection. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, and so that's what y'all been watching. I'm not even going to ask Andrews. What are Mauritius watching? Andrews watching, right? Pretty much. Other than that, the only <laughs> thing I've watched really is uh, I've been, I guess, I guess seeing Joel McHale in uh, Stargirl made me restart. Um, Community. community again, but yeah, community's good. But uh, all right. Well, David mentioned Doom Patrol, and we actually do have some stuff happening with Doom Patrol. There's a new trailer out for Doom Patrol for season two, um, and the news about it moving to HBO Max, and it's going to come out June 25th. Um, and I bring that up because it really makes me wonder if we think that means anything for DC Universe. If you really think about it. With the same parent company owning two streaming services, they could conceivably put all of DC Universe into HBO Max. Is is as DC Universe really hasn't been Doom Patrol actually was its most successful show. Hmm. So if you're taking what's already your biggest draw off the off the service and putting it on another one, I'm not really mm-hmm. sure what that means or why they would do that unless they're going to cut one of them. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, what's left on DC Universe now? The Harley Quinn show. That's it. The Harley Quinn animated show, and that's the only exclusive. That's the only... Well, I mean, that's the only thing the, that's... The they have Titans, which nobody's... Which, oh, they have Titans, right. which, which nobody's really ex- happy with. Swamp Thing was the only other one that really got any kind of buzz and people enjoyed, and they canceled Swamp Thing after like yeah. 10 episodes. Uh, I just... The only thing about, about that Titan. app that I yeah, the only thing about that app that I like that I wish maybe we would get like even on Disney Plus is the digital comics that you can get on DC Universe where you can yeah. download the digital comics. Other than that, DC Universe's exclusives are not they're taking the only one that's any kind of draw off the service. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, actually, just to me because of what does that mean for DC Universe? And you bring up a good point. They kind of like, it's almost like they stumbled into having these two streaming services and are like, wait, we have two. Oh, what are we supposed to do with these two now? Like one of the great things about Disney Plus is that everything is going to be all in one place, right? right. DC is kind of all over the place with that because you got their CW stuff, their DC Universe stuff, their HBO Max stuff. I was so confused for a long time. Like, 
every, well, not, it's not that confusing as to ask the question, but like every time I want to go watch something DC, I have to stop and say, wait, where do I go watch this? Yeah. Do I right. have to go to HBO Max? Do I have to download the CW app again? Do I have to. Which I deleted after the last dad? season of Arrow was disappointing. Exactly. Yeah. That's ex- <laughs> Exactly what I, I downloaded it to watch uh, the recent crossover and then I deleted it. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's like, where's it's all it's all over the place. Um, for a while, you had Supergirl and like CBS There's CBS stuff. So like, mm-hmm. I'm happy that's on CW. Um, and then you, I think like, isn't Black Lightning on a different channel also? No, I don't Black know Lightning CW. CW. Mm-hmm. It is on CW. I felt, I felt like there was some. I felt like there was some other show, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It's all over the place and. It's kind of it's a little frustrating. I mean, it would probably be beneficial to them, I think, if they just streamlined it all. I mean, you can't do anything about the CW shows. That's a, that's a that's a TV network over there, right? You can't do anything about it. Uh, but um, if they just streamlined it all and put it all on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. I, I think that'd probably be better for them. They'd probably get more people watching it. Yeah. Well, you end up with this problem of competing against yourself. Um, right. You know, Disney has done a good job so far of not falling in that pit with um, the way they've handled owning Disney Plus and Hulu, mm-hmm. and that they've made, marked a clear division of what kind of stuff will you will find on each respective service. Yeah. But with DC, it's kind of all over the place. But um, I was talking about this with somebody yesterday. You know, we're kind of in this era where everybody's trying to launch their own streaming service. Mm-hmm. At least half of them will fail. Yeah. That's just, it's, it's going to happen. And so we might be kind of on the front edge of seeing some of these backing off, especially with the, the economic changes over the last six months. People backing off and, and trying to figure out how to consolidate things. But that's the bottom line is everybody's own streaming network that that idea is not going to work no some are going to make it some aren't and so i was always questioned how dc's streaming platform would work on its own anyway or even why they were developing their own when they were already had access to other premium channels and streaming properties yeah it's almost i almost get this feeling that it was like so I remember it launched like with Titans. That was the big thing. It almost felt like DC Universe was pretty much an exclusively a Titans thing. Like it was built for Titans in a weird way. But then why not just make it for like HBO Max? And then I love the digital comic book stuff. Um, I think it's great having a place where you can go back and watch all the old animated stuff. Uh, yeah. That's on DC Universe, right? Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're animated library is fantastic it's fantastic i would love i love that and so it's great to have a place to have that but then once again it's the question why not just put it on hbo yeah i guess if you want to do a thing where you have like your digital comics you know sort of take over that yourself uh and just instead of like doing it all through something like uh comiXology just handling that all yourself then you can Make an app just for that, and I don't well, you think can, because I mean, like Marvel has Marvel has Marvel Unlimited. That that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's access to all of Marvel's digital right. comics. Talking about the comics too. I mean, DC even in the print, DC has mm-hmm. cut ties with Diamond Distributors now, which is going to be a big shift, and we're going to have to wait and see how all this works. Um, 
huge. And, a, and, and to somebody who might not read comics, you might not look at that and think it's a big deal, but Diamond has been the monopoly on comics distribution for Third, like, 40 years. Decades. Yeah. 40 years. And it's, it's always been that. And I was listening, I was listening to some stuff about it because I was trying to get a bit more educated on it. And this is probably really going to affect comic book store owners uh, and then affecting how people are going to get their DC comics. It's going to be a really big change. Hopefully not as big and catastrophic as as it seems. And I hope it works out for the better. I mean, everyone's been, like I said, it's a monopoly. So for years, people are like, we got to break up Diamond. We got to break up the monopoly. But now you're actually yep. doing it, and it's kind of scary. There was, a time, there was a time, too, though, when having all the different distributors, it was done regionally. And all the different distributors, it, it was so inconsistent that they actually had a conference about this and went to Congress with it. And the guy who actually has owned Mile High Comics forever uh, was a big proponent of advocating for having one distributor. And at the time, that's what worked well. It helped comics. But now, after 40 years of Monopoly, you know, and having different technology now and... Uh, companies being more streamlined and can have a little more control over things. Uh, it may be time to break the monopoly up, but it's really going to be interesting to see how well this works. Um, but it makes a big shift in the publishing side of it, in the print side of it. And, cause, and I led into that from the fact we were talking about the digital side. And we're always having debates about print versus digital if print's ever going to go away mm-hmm. well now you're seeing a big change in the way print things are done i was just going to ask because we talked about doom patrol moving to hbo max and what we thought that means but did, did any of you actually watch the doom patrol trailer that just recently dropped Mm-mm. no I, I didn't get a chance to watch it before we started i intended to it but, was uh, really good you know yeah. i just i part of me it was like i, I didn't watch it because I, I haven't gotten to see it yet which the first season, so you don't mm-hmm. want to watch this t- and season I really, two. Like, I need to go track down and see if it's just available to purchase anywhere yet because I would just really like to watch it, but I don't want to go get another streaming service to do so. Yeah, uh, I know, and that's kind of why we're having this conversation because, you know, Andrew, you mentioned it a, mention, a minute ago. Everybody wants their own streaming service, and you're just flooding it. You can't. By the time I saw it with, you will pay more for all these streaming services than you ever did for any cable service you ever had. Yeah. People can only afford so much. It's this idea of, you know, it's, it's when you started off, it was like all the networks are talking about their own streaming service. But then when suddenly you have individual properties are going to have their own streaming service, it's like, that's Mm -hmm. just, it's not sustainable. No. Uh, it's it's you can't you can't do it. People it's, can only afford so much. It would have, it would have been like if Disney had said. It would have been like if Disney had said, "Well, we're launching all these new. We're going to launch all these." I mean, I mean, heck, Disney's announced like at least five, maybe closer to ten series that they're going to do on Disney Plus. If Disney if Disney had said, "Well, we're going to launch the uh, the Marvel Cinematic service. Streaming Service for all these new shows and, and the Star Wars Streaming Service," and then the right. Mm-hmm. Right, but no, it was good having it all in one place. Which, and that's that's kind of why we're talking about it. Is and do we think DC is going to 
follow that model or better yet just to really call it the parent companies with disney is warner going to follow this model and at&t i think eventually they're going to fall back to beginning to consolidate some of this stuff yeah, whether it be hbo right. or and that's kind of that's kind of what i'm saying is i think we're seeing the beginning of it yeah yeah that's a good so. thing that's a it's it'll be better in the long run i mean personally i mean the way the companies spend their money, you know, whatever, but I, I would rather see them put, it takes an awful lot of money to develop these streaming platforms, like a lot mm. of money, like a lot more money than to develop a series. Right. And I would rather them just, I would rather get new series than, than for them to be sinking all their money into developing new platforms. Mm-hmm. Talking about these streaming services and the Disney Plus Specifically, something interesting happened today. We actually had a film that was originally scheduled for a theatrical release, which, of course, was delayed due to the virus and the quarantines. They're just going to skip the theatrical release for Artemis Fowl entirely. Hmm. That will actually drop June 12th. And uh, for people listening, we're recording this June 11th. So tomorrow, Artemis Fowl will be on Disney+. Plus. But this was a movie I was already concerned about from the trailers and things mm-hmm. I was reading. And now the reviews are in. And I think this thing has something like a 15% rating <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was yeah. already worried about it. And now my fears are becoming even worse. The Forbes uh, headline says, Artemis Fowl is one of the worst young adult fantasy movies ever. And there's a whole lot of them. So, and, that's, <laughs> and some of them are bad. I mean, and some of them are really bad. Worst yeah. ever. That means like worse than Twilight. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm like just the right age that all of my peers yeah. are reading Twilight like obsessively when I was mm-hmm. in my early 20s. And oh, I did try in my defense. I did try and read the first Twilight book one time. But y'all, the writing was so bad. And what? Yeah, that's that's pretty Twilight. important factor. I mean, book. like the descriptions. I mean, it was just terrible. Well, I just couldn't see. That's kind of the trick here. Is these Artemis Fowl books are actually really well thought of. Like they're actually really good. Right. You know, we talked about Harry Potter the other day. How good an adaptation Harry Potter was, book to film. And it seems like they have missed the mark on this one. What you spent $105 million. Oh, I'm sorry. Was 125, $135 million? $125 million. $125 budget for this film based on an epic series of books, which is very popular and very successful. And I think it's something like a 90-minute film. That That's not a good sign either. No. How much they had to leave on the cutting room floor. Huh. No, and it, it seems just, like as much of a, as much as I like Kenneth Branagh, it, it seems like an odd choice in director. He did yeah. Thor. He did the first Thor movie really successfully. Yeah, but that's he's a very successful director. He's he's a very good director. He, there was but, something no. else he did recently that really bombed. Oh, well, you're talking about are you talking about Murder on the Orient Express? I really liked Murder on the Orient Express. Did it not and do did, well? It's a good movie. I don't know how much money it made, but that's the last thing I can remember him directing at the moment. Oh, they are doing Death on the Nile. Yeah. Yes. I didn't know that they... Okay, well, I guess it did well enough for it to get a sequel. Good. I'm stupid excited about that. Okay, I'm wrong because I don't know what all is true is. That's not familiar to me. But 
prior to that historical film though which is way more in his yeah he did uh, Murder on the Orient Express Cinderella Jack Ryan Thor are the most recent things he's done hasn't done just a whole lot here that's the thing like he's a good he's a good film director but like he doesn't do like Thor was really the only thing you would throw in the fantasy genre he's ever done he did Frankenstein Uh, yeah but well, first of all, Frankenstein movie leaves some stuff to be desired too. I didn't see it. Yeah, and Frankenstein is would technically be sci-fi, but it's yeah. When you're, it, it's still something that at this point that you're gonna put have that has that historical mm-hmm. slant to it. That's really in his in his wheelhouse. Yeah, I am. I have no interest or care for like the series. Like I never even heard of it before today. When it was on the show notes, to be honest. But in preparation, I did watch a video on it. Because when I searched Artemis Fowl, the first thing that popped up, of course, was the trailer. And the second thing was a video titled something like, Why the trailers for Artemis Fowl look so horrible as an adaptation for the book or something like that. And apparently, this movie misses the entire point of what the book's about anyway. Uh, and, and the trailer very looks upset. like it does. Mm-hmm. And the fans seem to be very upset about it. And so, I mean, it'll probably get more people watching it on Disney Plus than it will when it was in theaters, probably. I can imagine kids, like, you know, eight years yeah, old being like, what's Artemis? My kids don't watch it. But I'm, I'm just really disappointed because that's, that's a movie that that should have been should have been easy to make, especially with a great director like that. But I haven't seen it yet. So I hold off judgment, but it doesn't sound like it's going to do very well. We'll we'll watch it this week, and uh, at least some somebody on the the panel can watch it sometime this week, and we'll get get something on it next time. We'll have an opinion. Right. Happier news: we did get a new Bill and Ted trailer. Oh yes, it was <laughs> <Good>. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! And this is something that. David, I don't know if you'll get it or not because Bill and Ted's way before your time. Bill and Ted is so. You never hilarious. made him watch Bill and Ted. The, and Tell, the, the Bill and Ted movies. Really? Oh my god! How on earth did you get away with that? I just I, don't, I love the fact that the entire premise of the first two Bill and Ted movies is that they will someday unite the world and everyone will follow this philosophy based off their music. And now you get here. Almost thirty years later, and find out they failed. They're playing bar <laughs> they mitzvahs. Just, but they didn't just fail; they just never got around to doing it. Yeah. <laughs> in, in classic slacker fashion, I love the fact that they even try to pull the "be excellent to each other," mm-hmm. and everybody in the future is looking out like they don't get it. <laughs> so, um, it it is time. The, yeah, good good the advice. Awesome. Yep. And I don't know that I don't know that Alex Winter has actually even done a whole lot else. I don't remember ever seeing Alex Winter in anything else. So maybe that's just him being himself. But the fact that Keanu Reeves can slip right back into character is amazing. I loved this trailer. I was I was interested in this in this movie when it was announced. But now I'm actually like excited to see it. Now, like now I'm looking forward to it. It was yeah. an excellent trailer. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen the other ones, but I 
this is not an exaggeration. I will literally watch any new movie that has Keanu Reeves in it. So I was going to see this one, and the trailer looks great, and I'll have to go back and watch. I mean, I've always heard about Bill and You have to watch. I haven't seen the second one, but you have to watch the first one. It's uh, it's t- that's typically not my kind of humor, but Bill and Ted is pretty funny. I'm not gonna lie. It's hilarious. It's one of those. Yeah, things- I just, I just hope. So much of the humor, though, is predicated on the time it was made in originally. It's predicated on you understanding the slacker mentality. You know what I mean? So I, I hope the jokes still hit. Yeah, when it's- was the first movie made? Eighty, eighty nine. Oh wow. We're starting something new this week. A few weeks ago, we had a Twitter question about the pillars of sci-fi, right? Yep. And we got into a discussion of that and decided it was really too in-depth of a discussion to try to have all at once. So we're breaking this down into our pillars of sci-fi, uh, three things out of each category that we feel like are... Only three? Four. Four. It was four. Four is what you wanted out of each category? Yep. Oh, my gosh. We can do three. three. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we can do three, but I don't know how you, I don't know how you possibly narrowed your uh, novels down to three. Um, I'm going to tell you how I did it. I'm actually really proud of myself for this. Train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but we had novels, movies, television, and a miscellaneous category, and we're going to take each of those categories one at a time and do one a week. And this week was novels, which actually I sort of expanded my novels category to just be literature. Yeah, that's, okay. that's fair. Which which was the intent of the question, right? But I uh, I actually wanted Andrew to sort of start this. Which three or four selections you made in your okay? Mine are in no particular order. I'm basically doing mine from oldest to newest. But my first one, the first one I have on here is Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. Jules Verne. This is the book that inspired virtually everyone who's ever gone into the into space. It has. It inspired so much exploration and just the, the kind of built on the spirit of exploration. Jacques Cousteau wouldn't go out without this book on his boat. This this was basically like he called this his shipboard Bible. You're talking about a book that has inspired so many people to go out and explore, even though this was about exploring the oceans, was really a big part of the spark to push man to space travel. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, it, it's in, in the reflections, the way that kind of circles back to inspiring more literature, even though this on its own inspired all sorts of literature. And then it, mm-hmm. it inspires people to go to the moon. And then people come back and write the Martian or, you know, like not people who went to the moon, but humanity. And yeah. so because of the way this book has affected people and, additional and, and additional literature and because of the circle of of real life exploration and literature that it has created i really feel like this is the the foundation that almost all of the rest of sci-fi since has been built on right a worthy addition to the list <laughs> all right so um. <laughs> i'm gonna debate you on that though because if you're talking oldest sci-fi i mean frankenstein was written like 75 years before Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea i get that but when we talk about sci-fi when you when you say somebody says sci-fi what is the first thing that comes to your mind star wars frankenstein didn't inspire star wars 
No. Star but- Trek. Frankenstein didn't inspire that. Things like Frankenstein certainly have a place in the sci-fi conversation because it has inspired this whole genre, mm-hmm. like subgenre of sci-fi. So it certainly has its place. But when you think about yeah. sci-fi, you generally think about space and and, and the exploration. And, and this is where it begins, is with 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Well, Frankenstein is, is the oldest it. thing on my list. <laughs> You know, just because, although you're right, it's a very different kind of, it's a very different kind of exploration. It's a much more, um, Frankenstein is. It's a psychological book. It's a psychological book, but that is also a really time honored um, sci-fi tradition. Like the tradition of, it's, I think it's the same, it's the precursor to a lot of writings about artificial intelligence, androids things like that because it's that that study of it's not quite human but kind of is and what I, what makes it you know what makes it tick so that that was my um that's my oldest selection in, I would, in my list i would say that the way frankenstein really impacts modern science fiction is that what it is is the exploration of what it means to be human well, right, but which, isn't which, that which continues that? Then that's where I'm going. Like that's what Star which Trek. Is that's what Star really Trek at is. At the heart of almost all sci-fi. Right. It's it's that. What what does it mean? To because be? the sci it's science fiction where the sci-fi element really doesn't mean anything to the story because the story is really about who is the real monster. Right. And and honestly, I feel like um, I've actually been having a discussion again on Twitter about sci-fi and kind of its role as, you know, kind of as escapism or as kind of a, a lens to view the world through. And I think that um, I almost said Dracula, but Dracula is a little more horror than than yeah than Frankenstein. Although Frankenstein does kind of have its horror element. It, it is, I mean, you're, they're using electricity to bring this back. You know, and, and also it's one of the earliest studies of man trying to play God. Really looking at, you know, it, as people were starting to realize that science could do things they'd never, ever imagined. And, and you have this story of this person who was trying to play God. And the question of the morality of that and the implications of that and what that means for your creations and what that means for society as a whole. So I think it, it starts a lot of the really the most important conversations about sci-fi, not maybe the more exciting themes, but some of the more um, underlying themes, I guess, for sci-fi. So, okay. there we go. Then, David, do you have one? So, uh <laughs> I've been dreading you getting to me here because, you see, I, I explained this before. Now, I do have answers, uh, okay. but I just need the audience to understand. I, I'm i a young man, and I have not read as much. I read. I mostly – I read a lot of fantasy novels. That's just yeah. what I've always been into ever since I was in third grade in the library having to pick something out for AR. Mm-hmm. I was reading fantasy novels. And I honestly sat back, and the only sci-fi novels I've ever thought of that I've read were, like, novels written for, like, young adults that I have no relevance to this conversation at all, I pinky promise you. So, <laughs> I have to base these answers sort of off this, this the information. Now, like I said, I have read plenty of sci-fi, just not so that would be relevant. So, 
I have to base my answers here off of information. Yeah, I'm getting to it. Off of information that I know from things, <laughs> not from what you read. So my first answer that I'm going to say actually is do androids dream of electric sheep, which is, of course, the mm-hmm. novel that Blade Runner is based off of. Yeah. And I put that one on here because... When I think about like movies, which is when we get to that next week, I have a lot easier of a time actually yeah. contributing to. Um, when I think about uh, movies that influence sci-fi, that's one of them. And then it all starts yes. back with, of course, this novel. And Philip K. Dick wrote a lot of of sci-fi. In fact, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep was initially on my list, but I had to cut it down to four, so it lost a spot. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Well, that's fair. And, and you know, the truth is Blade Runner's probably going to end up being on my movie list. But mm. but yeah, I had to put that on there because I, I love Blade Runner so much. And I know I need to get back to seeing this, uh, to reading this novel. I will eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will. Um, reading just so hard. So much time. <laughs> so I don't much have time. time. Audiobooks. So that's much. what audiobooks are for. Audiobooks. Right. You're right. You're right. I do need to get like an audiobook subscription, but I did get an audiobook subscription. And guess what? I read fantasy novels. Or <laughs> so, um, and also my answers are in no particular order, but I, I do have a list. Right. And, and, just so that and mine, <clears throat> mine won't be in any particular order either. And I actually sort of took a different view on this. Okay. I sort of had to sit back and think about it in this way that there are certain tropes to science fiction certain mainstays um, to a science fiction story that we see over and over again. So I kind of tried to think and look back at Mm. when I found the first really profound example of some of these tropes. That's excellent. Um, So the first book I'm going to mention that's on my list is actually The Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Yep. That's 1895. Yep. Um, it's time online travel too. has become, yeah, and time travel has become a very, I won't say well-worn, but well-used. Frequently uh, visited. Sci-fi yes. stories. It's a staple. Yes, it's a, it is a staple of science fiction is the mm-hmm. idea of time travel. This is one of the first mentions of um, someone using a machine to be able to travel through time. Literally the yeah. time machine, right? And this was the book that was that did it that was successful enough to put it in people's heads that now we use that over and over again mm-hmm. so the f- first entry on my list i will mention is the time machine okay. yeah that was my number that was my uh my third one on my list um i have to tell you what though i read it expecting it to be like back to the future esque and it is not. No. It is it not. Is, it's actually a happy really book. creepy. It is profoundly creepy. Mm-hmm. And the like, the little people frolicking, like the sheep and the underground people eating them. Spoiler alert if you haven't read this 150 year old book. It is not a happy read. I was very disappointed. I got to the end. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I was not <laughs> amused. Uh, Andrew, you had another entry, another one on your list. You haven't I do. Yet? I actually am going to, I, I have five here and I, I knew I was going to have to bump it down to four as we went. So since two of y'all have HG Wells the time machine on your list, I'm going to bump it. Not because it doesn't belong, but because I want to provide another one here that else. might not be on somebody else's list. Mm-hmm. Isaac Asimov's foundation. This is a book that has inspired people like Elon Musk. You know, a lot of other scientists 
to do good for humanity. Mm-hmm. That, that their primary goal, at least what they claim is their primary goal, is to further human development. And, and so if you're not familiar with foundation, the premise of foundation is basically you have this giant empire that exists across multiple planets. And they find out they some way of that they develop through mathematics of kind of telling the future, of knowing what's going to happen, and discover that their empire is about to collapse, and that will it will collapse, and it another empire won't arise in its place for three thousand years. So the main character builds two teams of scientists, engineers, and such, and sends them to opposite ends of the galaxy to create new settlements. These are known as the foundations. Okay. Their whole reason for existing is to maintain the knowledge of humanity through this collapse. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, search out ways. And so the idea is that through science and mathematics, they can't stop the collapse of the empire, but they can greatly shorten the amount of time until the next empire will rise up. Mm-hmm. Um, th- so it's not going to be a total, the, the collapse won't last for as long. Right. So just in the ways that Foundation has inspired people like like Carl Sagan and Elon Musk to achieve scientific advancement for the betterment of humanity. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, the other thing about Foundation. It was also, there was a, a one-time vote, the Hugo Awards, had a vote in 1966 for best all-time series. Hmm. The finalists were Barsoom by Edgar Rice Burroughs, Foundation by Isaac Asimov, Future History by Robert Heinlein, Lensman by Edward Smith, and Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. And Foundation won, the Foundation series won the award, Hugo Award, for best all-time series, and the Hugo Awards have never revisited that category. Um, is iRobot part of the Foundation it series? It is not. It is not. Uh, okay. It was a slightly later no. book. So that's my second. My second entry is Foundation by Isaac Asimov. Okay. Okay. So, D- David, what is your second entry? This uh, second entry is, is based off of what I've heard about it and, and what I think. One of my favorite, even though it's widely overused, one of my favorite Subgenres of sci-fi is the dystopian future, the dystopian sci-fi, mm-hmm. uh, obviously very, very popular. And so with that in mind, I wanted to include a dystopian book on my list. And upon my research and reading, what I've come to find is that it's it's pretty widely considered that 1984 is probably the most influential dystopian sci-fi mm-hmm. novel. Um, so I'm going to put that on my list here just to, to fill that little slot because I mean, dystopian, you're thinking about like, if you're looking at it from like, what are the pillars of sci-fi? What are most sci-fi things? Dystopian in itself is Mm -hmm. such a huge part of that. So many, so, so many popular movie series, Mm -hmm. um, are trying to follow that trope of like the, the, the dystopian future. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my favorite things to, to write about, to read about, to play video games in, to watch movies about. I, I'm always seem to be drawn to that. And what is widely considered to be one of the first books to, to really launch that and to 
influenced pretty much every dystopian novel and series that came after it mm-hmm. uh, was 1984. Fahrenheit uh, 451 was was up there too. Uh, when upon when I was doing my research, that one's also yeah. uh, heavily influential in that. Those were mm-hmm. also on my list of things that got cold were Fahrenheit 451 and uh, 1984. Because, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it, it's not necessarily something that we think, when we, you know, we think sci-fi, we think Star Trek. We don't think necessarily uh, Hunger Games, but yet that's, you know, that's definitely. Um, and you can't, in, in the conversation about dystopian literature, you can't leave out A Brave New World. Well, you're jumping ahead of me, Marisha, because Brave New World is on my list. Okay. <laughs> I was actually going to tell David, staying with the dystopian theme here, like I said, these what I think of as sort of become staples of sci-fi, mm-hmm. the dystopian future is definitely one of them. Uh, Brave New World, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have 1984 without Brave New World. Mm-hmm. Brave New World came first. Um, and actually was a was still to this day one of the more interesting ways to look at it. Mm-hmm. He actually the protagonist of the story is a character who did not grow up in this dystopian society. Mm-hmm. He was born and raised outside of the control of that world of established society, and then has to enter it. And it's his reaction to it. It's it's almost like what our reaction would be being dropped into that world. Or they've actually developed a drug to control human emotion. Mm-hmm. Sounds a lot like something we saw in Firefly, right? Right. You know these yeah. these tropes and these ideas are all there that we see over and over again. And Brave New World dropped a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's definitely on my list. I think that is the dystopian novel that really kickstarted that subgenre that made mm-hmm. people really think about that type of world. So. Those are our first two entries apiece for the novels for the Pillars of Sci-Fi. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like to hear the rest of our list, we're going to invite you to Thursday's episode. That is normally reserved for our X-Files and Star Trek review, uh, which we will still be doing our Star Trek review of Star Trek First Contact. Um, but we're also going to give you our last two entries on our novels list during that episode. So, on uh, Till then, Marisha, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at ppadawans at princessesandpadawans.com or on Instagram at princesses underscore and underscore padawans. And Andrew? All right, you can find me running the Twitter account for this show at sci underscore fictionary. You can find me hosting our other show that comes out on Tuesdays. That's Coruscant Radio Underground which is where we discuss all things Star Wars. Uh, you can drop us a line at thesciencefictionary at gmail.com, or you can find us at thesciencefictionary.com. And David? You guys can find me on my YouTube channel, which is Creative D&D, where I do podcasts and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And you guys can find me over uh, on Twitter at stay underscore creative DD. And I am Dan C. Peeps on Twitter, and we'll see you next time.